podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, we are fastly approaching the Dutch Grand Prix and after what seemed to be a very difficult dark weekend for Formula One following the aftermath of the Belgium Grand Prix that really never was. Of course, we're going to get into that and some stories that have been surfacing as well. But joining me on this episode, as always, joining us, returning, I should say, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Hello, everyone. Um, I'm doing fine. Uh, There's certainly a lot to digest in this episode, let's say, and uh, I can't wait to get stuck into it. Yeah, absolutely, of course. And we're going to start off with the breaking news. And of course, I will be keeping an eye on social media for any further updates in case that does happen as a result of this. But of course, there's no better place to start than the breaking news on social media as of around 6pm on uh, Wednesday evening, uh, I believe when we record. Obviously, this goes out on Thursday. But yes, of course, the breaking news, Kimi Raikkonen has finally announced his retirement from Formula One, effective immediately at the end of the season. So this will be the final season that we see the Iceman in Formula One. And Courtney, whilst this was expected, of course, the 2007 world champion Kimi Raikkonen has given us so many great memories. It does seem to feel rather hollow and sad that for the final time, we are going to have to say farewell to Kimi Raikkonen at the end of the season. Um, If you can, of course, sum up how much of a shock this news is to the F1 paddock, whilst it was expected that he would announce his retirement. Um, But also how, I mean, how much of an impact Kimi Raikkonen has made to the Formula One world? It seems like he's been around forever. Yeah, um, that last bit, you beat me to it. It it feels like Kimi Raikkonen is very much a part of the furniture in Formula One. It's going to feel weird to not have him around, because I know he had that that little break, didn't he, before he returned with Lotus. But apart from that, he's been been an ever-present for almost 20 years. So... It's going to feel strange not having him around. Um, I have mixed feelings on it, to be honest. I mean, in one way, it's going to be sad to lose who was a very good driver. And I think he, he was capable of doing more. But he was a very good driver. Uh, very charismatic in his own unique way, let's say. Um, I think he very much highlighted some of the things that Formula 1 fans find boring about it. And he made fun of it. And that's what made him so relatable with a lot of the fans. He's going to be missed not only for what he does on track, for what, for what he offers off track. As much as he's going to be missed, I'm hoping this would be an opportunity for a couple of younger drivers to come in because I just have a slight issue with, you know, there's a lot of young, good drivers coming through and they're not getting a chance. So I'm hoping that with the merry go around that comes with this announcement, we might see somebody coming up from F2 maybe. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, it's important to remember Exactly what you said, that the, one of the biggest issues in Formula One is not necessarily trying to usher older drivers out of the sport um, that have had their moments and have had their fun, but it's mostly because there aren't enough seats. 
the yeah. driver academies are definitely suffering because a lot of seats are occupied by older drivers that perhaps aren't necessarily committed for the long haul or have short-term ambitions. And you really want to give these opportunities to these younger drivers who have come through the same channels and series as some of the older drivers done back in their day and they're just not getting their opportunities so whilst it is a shame that Kimi Raikkonen has decided to call it a day as far as Formula One is concerned I have no doubt he'll continue to race perhaps in rallying again or other series if he chooses to but it is nice to see that an older driver has acknowledged that they have served their purpose. They've had their fun and quite literally Kimi Raikkonen referring to F1 as a hobby quite famously in the Drive to Survive series um, not too long ago. It's nice to see that he's realised that now he needs to step aside yeah. and allow promising young talent to come into the sport. And and this is what F1 is all about. If you don't have promising young talent coming into the sport, the sport will cease to exist as far as we know it. You know, we love Kimi, but... We all knew he wasn't going to be able to last forever. The Iceman was always going to have to call it a day eventually. And I suppose it brings us nicely, Courtney, to asking about a few highlights of his career. I mean, a few things I would want to ask and get your thoughts on is, is there a particular moment, and there are plenty of them that Kimmy has given us, but is there one moment that stands out to you in Kimmy's career that will live long in your memory? So there's two. Um, there's one one of them really stuck with me was his battle with Lewis and Spa I think we really got to see the best of the two of them that day I think that's the, one of the most on track moments the geezer was supreme at McLaren for me the best Kimmy was McLaren Kimmy he yeah. was different gravy in those days he really was and I just think when he joined in Ferrari and the pressures had come with it he become a little bit more laid back in order to deal with the pressure I think McLaren Kimmy is the Kimmy I look back on most fondly well, I think some of the marks he made, uh, he made off track. And the one that sticks with me is the one that he said to Martin Brundle when he said, uh, oh, Kimmy, you missed the presentation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> presentation with Pele. He's like, what are you doing? I was having a shit. It's like, who, who is he going to say? Only Kimmy. That's such a Kimmy thing to say. It's brilliant. And that yeah. just summed up. And it summed up. Yeah, again, that was, that was McLaren Kimmy. McLaren Kimmy was the best Kimmy, in my opinion. He was. Um, 2005 Kimi Raikkonen, for me, was the best version of Kimi Raikkonen. And in some ways, very unlucky to not win the World Championship then. If it wasn't for better reliability than in the McLaren, um, he probably would have won the 2005 World Championship. But same again, he could have won in 2003 in that year with Alonso and Schumacher, and if it weren't for reliability issues. So he was a completely different beast at McLaren. He was still very, very good at Ferrari, but you could certainly argue his best year was the year he won the World Championship. And after that, he sort of mellowed out a little bit, um, still incredibly quick, but was not necessarily the ruthless competitor that he once was. Um, yeah, I mean, Kimmy, that is definitely one of my favourite moments. And I'm glad you brought that up because I know my brother would literally be constantly harassing me saying, Ad, if you're going to mention a tribute to Kimmy, you've got to mention <laughs> 2003 Brazil when he talks about I missing Pele. Yeah. Because he loves to bring it up. He does. He loves those kind of moments. But fair play, you know. Um, I mean, I have a few for me. Not necessarily driving moments for Kimi. Of course, Japan 2005 from 17th on the grid to win the race was yeah, by far one of the greatest performances I've ever seen from any Formula 1 driver, let alone Kimi Raikkonen's career. Um, for me, there's two. There's 2005 in Monaco when I think he retired. I think it was a reliability issue with McLaren. And then rather than go back to the paddock for a debrief, he heads off to a yacht to watch the rest of the Why race not? and just chill on the deck. I mean, that's absolutely, that's typical Kimi Raikkonen. It must be said. Um, 
And then I think it was, was it 2008 in, um, or 2009, I should say, at Malaysia when he retired early in the race and he went to get the ice cream. Of course, the famous Iceman nickname, he had it before, but obviously Kimmy going off at the end of the race to grab an ice cream and a Coke, um, which... Of course, we're talking about Formula One drivers who are incredible athletes who I'm sure love to indulge in a treat every now and then. But just to see Kimi Raikkonen not caring whatsoever, sitting in the Ferrari garage, indulging in ice cream and a Coca-Cola was absolutely hilarious. Of course, there are other beverages out there, I should mention. But um, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, And it's part of the, I suppose, the personality trait of Kimi Raikkonen that we know and love of fans. I can imagine there are probably a lot of people in his inner circle that if Kimi acted like that and so straight and blunt with people, they probably wouldn't be too confident to go up and talk to him. And this is a guy that famously, very much like most Finnish drivers, don't necessarily like talking too much in interviews. And Kimi was nah. always straight and blunt and very direct, but he always used to do it in such a humorous way that there wasn't anybody in the paddock that wouldn't love him for it. It was just so funny. Yeah, I think the thing with Kimi is that Formula One is such a... It's such a serious sport. It's it's intense. I know it's all about you no know, following the rules, regulations, and this this guy come along and is like, right, I'm going to follow the rules when I need to, but any opportunity where I don't have to, I'm going to be showing you. Mm. And he just gave that. It was just he was just that kind of relief in a you know in a in a environment that just so sort of high pressure, you know. And I think he's kind of given some of these younger drivers come along that kind of confidence that you can compete. And actually have some character. You know, we saw it with, with we see it with Danny Ricciardo, we've seen it with Lando, we've seen it with some of the younger drivers coming up as well. And I just think that Kimmy's kind of brought in this sort of younger generation that sort of take Formula One a bit more lightly. I know we saw it a lot in the you know in the in the sixties and the seventies because these guys were putting their life online, but where Formula One's become a lot more safe and the culture's changed, it seems the drivers there was a time where the drivers were sort of like trained to like deal with the media and stuff and there'd be very predictable answers but this guy as I say he uh, he brought it all to a whole new level with um, with the entertainment factor from the drivers and he is going to be missed he's going to be missed from the fans that's for certain yeah absolutely and you know I I, I I always remember fondly the 2007 season as a Ferrari fan of course Kimi Raikkonen is still Ferrari's most recent world champion all those years ago it's getting more depressing to say that every year on year but that second half of the season, we Kimi was very much the subplot in the Alonso versus Hamilton rivalry that dominated the 2007 season up until a point where Kimi came out of nowhere in the last few races to win the championship by a single point to Lewis Hamilton. So that will certainly be the sporting moment that Kimi Raikkonen yeah. will be remembered for in the F1 archives. But of course... He's given us so many great memories. Of course, Formula One's most experienced driver, we shouldn't forget, 344 Grand Prix that he has competed in. Of course, he will compete in probably uh, nine or ten more, hopefully before the end of the season. So he'll be well up to 350. And I think only Fernando Alonso is the only one anywhere near him and who will probably try to break that record before he's done. But um, it must be said, Kimi will certainly be missed in the sport. An absolute legend on and off the racetrack and... Yeah, I don't think you'll find a character quite like Kimi Raikkonen. Well that said, Adam, said. well said. But guys, of course, let us know in the comments section what your favourite moment from Kimi Raikkonen. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sporting moment. It can be something silly that we've mentioned. It could be the Drive to Survive interview where he said it's like a hobby for me or just him in a press conference going, wow, 
like that. You know, pretty much a man who says very little and yet is loved by so many. It's it's boggles the mind, but it's wonderful. Um, but look, as much as I would love to turn this into a Kimi Raikkonen tribute, let's move on to what this now means in terms of the driver market. Because, of course, we were expecting a domino to fall at some point in the driver market, which would now sort of serve as a catalyst for some of the other moves that are currently in motion. And, of course, the latest rumour mill around the Alfa Romeo team, fittingly because Kimi Raikkonen has now moved on, is suggesting something rather interesting. Now, Courtney, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently there are rumours going around the paddock that Alfa Romeo may be switching to Mercedes power units next season. And this is quite interesting because... Whilst Alfa Romeo and Sauber as a partnership have had a traditionally good relationship with Ferrari, um, of course, for whatever reason, they've obviously wanted to move and perhaps look at an alternative engine, which is sensible. And given Mercedes, you could argue to agree at certain places is the best engine in Formula One all round. And, you know, it's so close these days. You could almost pick any one of the four and have a decent power unit. Hopefully by 2022, that'll be even more the case. But as a result... This has brought up some rumours uh, from Canal Plus, I believe it was that first came out with this, that we should be expecting to see an all-new driver lineup at Alfa Romeo and very much associated with Mercedes, one of which, of course, is Valtteri Bottas. Now, this is a rather interesting one because we talked about this in the transfer special and I'd seen so many people talk about the prospect of Valtteri Bottas joining Alfa Romeo being rather slim owing to the fact that Williams seemed a more natural fit and that they potentially provided more opportunities for Valtteri to perhaps compete for podiums or points if Williams get the job done in 2022, which I certainly hope they do. However, as a result of some of these rumours going on with the engine suppliers and the connections that Alfa Romeo may want to be building with Mercedes from 2022 onwards, all of a sudden, it seems rather likely that if Valtteri Bottas is not retained by Mercedes for next season, which at this point I think we can all agree that is the likely scenario... Um, he will end up at Alfa Romeo next season. So, Courtney, I suppose they're sticking to Alfa Romeo for now rather than going into Mercedes. How shocking is that to you to hear that Bottas will be going potentially to Alfa Romeo to replace Raikkonen rather than go to Williams? I mean, if the, the rumours are true, I I believe they are. Uh, if they are true, then it's not shocking really because, you know, we've seen it. They like... To, the teams and the, like the engine suppliers like Ferrari, Renault, Mercedes, etc. They like they have their own circle of drivers, so it makes perfect sense for somebody like Valtteri Bottas to go there. Um, it kind of saves it kind of saves Mercedes a bit of a headache, really, because you you can tell that it's been a tough decision for them to make regarding who's going to um, partner Lewis next season. So I think the Alfa Romeo thing makes life a lot easier. So if it is true, it would surprise me if we saw. Um, not only one change, but two. I think Giovinazzi would be sweating right now. If if the Mercedes, if Mercedes do take over, then I do think that um, Giovinazzi would be out the door as well. It wouldn't surprise me right now, just an educated guess, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a partnership of Valtteri Bottas and Nick De Vries next season at Alfa Romeo. Well, this is it. This is where I was going to lead me very, very nicely over to Nick De Vries. Of course, the Formula E world champion, the first official Formula E world champion from this season. And, of course, he was the F2 champion a couple of years ago as well. So, Nick De Vries obviously has had his sights set on Formula 1 for a long, long time. He was involved in the McLaren Young Drivers program many, many years ago. Um, 
back in, uh, I believe it was 2012, something like that. And then, of course, you had him move over to Mercedes. And for whatever reason, it just didn't really work out for him in terms of getting a seat in Formula One after he won the F2 championship. And then he went over to Formula E with the Mercedes team. And he did a rather good job there. And now he's looking potentially at coming back to Formula One. And I, for one, would love to see Nick DeVries have a go at Formula One. I was expecting perhaps Williams to take him on, similar to the situation with Bottas. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that the two of them will be lining up alongside each other. Possibly, of course, we'll have to wait for official confirmation on what happens. It just surprises me that it's happening at Alfa Romeo rather than the Williams team. So rather interesting what's going on at the moment behind the scenes. I'm not sure what's going on with Ferrari in terms of their input of what's happening at Alfa Romeo. But if the rumours are believed to be accurate, it seems that Alfa Romeo are going a completely different route. And as a result going to have an all-new driver lineup, and I, for one, think it's going to be a very exciting one. I'd be very intrigued to see how this works, um, Alfa Romeo signing a driver like Bottas and signing a young up-and-coming like Nick DeVries, reeks of positivity and mm-hmm. ambition, something I wouldn't say we've associated with Alfa Romeo in the last couple of years, but it certainly does look very, very promising for them. Yeah, well, it is. I think they are have the potential to be a solid team. I think, like, the way we saw them when they had Charles Leclerc, I think you, you just when you when you're a team like Alfa Romeo, you do need that guy to stand up, and it'd be interesting to see which one of them does that. But yeah, very interesting times. Um, I just I just think for the Mercedes family, it's just going to make life a lot easier for them to move forward as a team. What I will find interesting though is that that's a lot of change for Alfa Romeo going into next season, given the amount of change that's happening as it is. So I do expect them to struggle. So say this is all hypothetical. If they do have this Mercedes engine and a new driver lineup, I do expect them to struggle to start with and then maybe catch up slowly because that's a lot of change for a team to deal with. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. And I think if, if they're going to make the change, next year is not a bad time to do it because of all the changes that are going on with the new regulations and obviously stuff with the budget caps are going to be changed a little bit and tweaked and everything else. Now is the time, if you're thinking about introducing an all-new drive lineup, one that hasn't worked together either into this team after such consistency and longevity with two drivers like Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen, now is the time to do it. So I don't think it's going to impact them too much, but I completely understand that there will be a transition, but I'm sure that they'll be hoping, given what's going on, that the transition will be affected everywhere, not necessarily just them. So they might be able to manage it, but it would be very interesting if that is the case to see how they manage it. But um, let's move on to Mercedes now. So obviously we're going to talk about Williams in a moment, but seeing as we've already talked about Valtteri Bottas, I'm I'm quite intrigued with the Mercedes situation because um, uh, there's a lot to take away from the Belgian Grand Prix, you know, not necessarily just about the race itself, but obviously stuff that we saw regarding George Russell and Valtteri Bottas, more so with George, obviously considering the success he had at that weekend, probably the only driver that will probably walk away feeling good about how it all went down to a degree. But Toto Wolf made some really interesting comments um, at the Grand Prix, and he had been trying to dodge the questions regarding who is going to be in your seat next season, have you made a decision who over who your driver lineup's going to be, and then eventually after qualifying, he finally cracked and let slip and bear in mind George and Valtteri were both in a press conference together where they were very very coy on the future of both drivers not letting anything slip so it was quite a surprise for Toto to finally shed a little bit of light on the situation where he went and said that 
Mercedes have made their decision and nothing that happens today in terms of George Russell's uh, front row qualifying performance, which was phenomenal to say the least. Um, Toto had already said that they've made a decision and that this performance from George was not going to influence it. So it seems that Mercedes have made that decision and we should expect to see uh, an announcement at some point soon. Of course, we were expecting an announcement at Silverstone. We were expecting an announcement at the summer break. We were expecting an announcement in August at some point, And we haven't had anything yet. So I suppose my question, Courtney, is if Mercedes know who's going to be their driver lineup next season, why haven't they announced it yet? I mean, first of all, I'm slightly concerned um, how, how long this video is going to be relevant for, given that we know how quickly news moves in Formula One. We'll probably be expecting three or four announcements by the time this video goes out. So let's hope, let's hope it stays valid. I'm constantly checking social media as we speak, <laughs> just in case. So if you're wondering why I'm looking down, I'm looking at my phone, guys, flicking through Twitter and Instagram to see if any update. My brother literally messaged me with driver predictions and it just started off with the alert saying Russell to Mercedes Bottas Alpha I'm like what I literally didn't realize he was doing a prediction um I literally went straight to Twitter um, and nothing had come up it was just more on Kimi Raikkonen's retirement so yeah thanks for that semi-heart attack Luke I appreciate that but yeah Courtney you were you were saying before I interrupted yeah, like, you yeah I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I think we've got to try and get this video out as soon as possible Adam no pressure <laughs> um but yeah I, I think it's interesting. I think as much as Toto has said, yeah, the decision has been made, you know, he's been quite coy about it. At the same time, I actually think he was so excited by the performance he saw by George in qualifying that he couldn't actually help but kind of give it away, if that makes sense. I think he really was like, we've, we've seen so many snippets of what George can do. Obviously, primarily with Williams, that race in Bahrain last season. But what he did in difficult conditions really was exceptional I think not even somebody as calm as Toto could contain his excitement and it did and I, I think that's what he did he just showed his emotions in a moment you know the more the more we see that kind of thing the better I feel so you think that obviously they knew that well they had the idea that George Russell was going mm. to be in the car and they'd already had the conversations George said he'd spoken to Mercedes already in the summer break so it sounds like they've had those conversations over what's happening it's just both drivers at the moment keeping their cards to their chest and to a degree that you know, to their fairness, they've um, not really let any so, uh, let any sliver of an indication over who's going to be in that seat next year. You know, it's I still. Will, a I will say game. though, I think I think the way that George is driving, the confidence, you know, not only in qualifying but like how happy he was on Sunday as mm. well. Like, and obviously he's just kind of in a weird way got a podium for Williams, so he's going to be buzzing. But the guy just seems to be in such a healthy mindset at the moment. That suggests to me he's been given some good news recently, and I just think. The idea that George is in fact going to go to Mercedes is definitely building momentum. Yeah, and and it certainly ties in with the other rumor regarding Alfa Romeo, and I suppose that's a a big big win for Mercedes um, if they're able to do that. I'm surprised in a way that this has all come out so quickly yeah. in a way because I, I'm still baffled as to why he wouldn't go to Williams. But of course, we're going to get into those rumors in a moment, and maybe that will shed some light on what's going on. It seems things are changing so quickly in F1 that. Um, we could see a completely different landscape next season, depending on how this all goes down. But um, look, um, we've sort of mulled over, will it be George? Will it be Valtteri? I think you and I both agree. We think it's going to be George. I think, especially after what we saw in the last couple of races with George Russell, I think Mercedes, not that they needed any more convincing and they will 
go on the script and tell you the line that there's nothing about Jaws that we're seeing that we haven't already learned or aren't already convinced of, but I'm pretty sure that these are certainly helping his case, regardless of whether it's formally announced now or if it's going to be announced in the coming weeks. We'll have to wait and see. I think, for me, the main reason why they haven't announced it yet is because they want to secure everything else and wait for everything, all the chips to fall where they may lie. Perhaps Kimi Raikkonen announcing his retirement from Alfa Romeo is the first domino to fall, and then we will start to see the rest of them fall in due course. It could literally be later this evening as we're recording. It could be tomorrow when this podcast is happen. It could be next week. We don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see from sitting on the seat of our pants with anticipation of these announcements. And of course, we will be discussing those as and when they come out on the next podcast. Hopefully, we'll have to wait and see. But um, finally, Courtney, the last sort of driver transfer thing I think we should address now as a result of all of this is what is happening at Williams. Now, naturally, yeah, this is a really good question because we thought for a while that it seemed inevitable that Bottas was going to replace Russell. Um, It just seemed the natural fit. Mercedes increasing their technical partnership with Williams to 2022, which we would have thought means you can just switch the drivers around and Valtteri will have a bit of a homecoming. He won't be too far away from the Mercedes factory, so he wasn't ha- wouldn't have to move too far because he's quite involved at the factory, certainly more involved there than Lewis has been in uh, recent years. And it just seemed like it made sense to all parties to make that happen. But, of course, the latest rumours suggest otherwise and that perhaps Valtteri might be going to Alfa Romeo. We'll have to wait and see. But with Williams, that now leaves us in a bit of a precarious position because assuming George Russell goes to Mercedes, Valtteri Bottas and Nick DeVries go to Alfa Romeo, that leaves a potentially a seat empty at Williams. Now, Dan Tickton left the Williams Academy uh, a couple of weeks ago. I bet he's got it right now. Well, you say that, but perhaps this is the plan all along and it's all been kept hush-hush between these three teams because of what's about to happen. We'll have to wait and see. So the driver that's come up out of nowhere, and this is a driver that has been looking at an entry back into Formula 1, is Alex Albon. Now... I said this. This You did. I remember you saying in your (laughs) driver transfer special that you expected something like this to happen. And at the time, I just couldn't see it. I just couldn't see how Alex not necessarily would get a seat at one of these teams. I said that they would be looking at Alex Albon as a viable option. I just couldn't understand why Red Bull, who obviously still manage him at the moment uh, as their reserve driver, one of their drivers in their academy, why they would allow him to go to a team that's controlled by Ferrari or Mercedes respectively. And even more so now that Mercedes look like they're going to have a larger involvement um, with Alfa Romeo. So all of a sudden it's emerged that Alex Albon is potentially one of the favourites now for the Williams seat. Um, I mean, how crazy would that be? I mean, it'd be brilliant for Alex and be pretty, you know, pretty cool to see him in the Williams. But, I mean, what do we say to that, Corny? What do you, what do you, I think what are you thinking it would on be, if it, yeah, if this was to happen, I think it'd be the right choice for everyone, including Red Bull. I think Red Bull know deep down that he's not going to get a chance to be in the top team. Uh, possibly Alpha, Alpha Tauri, but I can't see him getting back to the main Red Bull team given the circumstances. So I think it'd be right for them to release him and give him a chance at Williams. I think the thing for Alex, that would completely rejuvenate his career and his motivation for the future. Because if he was to get that seat at Williams and if he was to perform to a level that we have seen glimpses of, he'd be thinking, oh, if I perform well at Williams, I might be able to get a shout at racing for Mercedes Monday. So let's not forget, Lewis isn't going to be around forever. No, very true. 
So apart from maybe, you know, I think if, if we can't, I'm going off on a slight tangent here, I'll keep it brief. Hmm. When Lewis retires, the natural thing would be Mercedes will look for Max. If they can't get Max, they will be looking at the drivers in around. They'll probably look at Lando. And if, and if Alex Albon is there and he's performing well for Williams, he's going to be in the conversation the way that George has this season. So yeah. this could rejuvenate Alex Albon's career if this was to happen. Quite possibly. Um, I mean, yes, the Mercedes link is always going to be apparent. I'm thinking that Red Bull will be trying to keep tabs on this and control as much as they can in terms of Alex's situation. If Alex does impress at Williams, then perhaps Red Bull will use that as an opportunity to try and potentially maybe move him back into one of their two teams next season. I mean, we haven't had official confirmation yet regarding Yuki Tsunoda's future and Pierre Gasly, although we're expecting Gasly to stay on and Tsunoda as well after Perez was confirmed by Red Bull for next year. So, you know, it's certainly certainly all going on um, at the moment and we're probably going to get sense of this very, very soon. So, yeah, huge surprise. Um, I would love to see Alex back. I think he was very, um, I want to say harshly treated. I don't think that's the right way of putting it, but I think it was a bit sad that Alex lost his seat when I think, I don't think he did too bad a job. I just think that it was just an impossible position to be in really. And uh, it wasn't, the uh the, the avenue for development that he would have wanted so we'll have to hope and wait and see what happens if he does end up at williams it'd be great to see how he gets on and uh hopefully as you said Courtney, this will be the um if you like resurgence or the reinvigoration if you're reinvention if you like of uh alex albon hopefully this will be a better uh better venture for him than it was at red bull i suppose for lack of a better way of putting it yeah, let's hope it happens. That'd be great for him. Yeah. But let us know, guys, of course, if you do think Alex Albon will end up at Williams or who else you'd like to see in there. Of course, we are expecting Latifi to be kept on. Uh, I haven't heard any yeah, rumours circulating that that's not going to happen. I think the assumption was that Bottas was going to end up in there and perhaps Nick DeVries, but now it seems if they're going to Alfa Romeo, that gives Latifi the opportunity to stay on for at least another season, which I think isn't the worst thing. I think Latifi's put in a few good performances this year, Hungary in particular, and he had a good performance in Belgium as well, getting points in that race. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But um, speaking, Courtney, of the Belgian Grand Prix, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because a few days after the Belgian Grand Prix, there's still a sour taste in my mouth over what transpired. Not necessarily the wet weather, basically, um, you know, voiding us of any kind of race altogether. It's the fact and how F1 managed it. And still, we haven't really had a resolution that I think is fair for the fans. So for starters, Corny, um, I'm going to ask you the simple question. Do you think they should have awarded points for that race? Oh, do you know what? I have mixed feelings on it. I think the, the, the thing that annoys me is from the reaction from the fans is that the, the biases towards their favourite drivers have come into the situation, I feel. You know, if you're if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, you'd have wanted points to have been voided, obviously, because Lewis would have a bigger points total over Max. But then you look at people like George Russell and you're thinking, he put in such a great performance on Saturday, how could you rob him of any kind of reward for the efforts he put in on Saturday? And that's where I do kind of slightly lean on the situation, there's a reason. There's a reason why these guys put 100% of their effort into those final laps of qualifying because they know how important it is for the result. So it's it's a tough one. I think I think the importance of Saturday cannot be understated. But at the same time, that the circumstances of that race and the fact that they 
but the idea was to let them do two laps of a safety car just to get a classified result. That kind of thing I don't agree with. And it, again, it's just that it just feeds one of the stigmas that people outside of Form 1 have about it. It's like always about following the rules and regulations. And it's just, it's. I think it stops some people from having the kind of connection with the sport itself. I'm also disappointed for the fans. They were led on for five hours. Mm. Imagine being, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like going on a date and you're just waiting in the pouring rain. You just wait there for like four hours. She ain't coming, is she? And then she sends a text saying, oh, I'm going to be there in 15 minutes. And then wait another 15 minutes. Oh, I'm going to be another 15 minutes. And actually she doesn't turn up. The fans that are actually there, they're the ones I feel sorry for the most. It's a okay for us when we're at home. We could just like turn off our TV and do something else. But it's the fans that are actually there that I feel sorry for the most. And that kind of thing can't happen again. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, I absolutely understand that. And of course, there's nothing F1 can do about the weather. I totally agree with the decision not to go racing. I think a lot of people that were um, sort of commenting on last week's podcast and weighing in on this, they felt that in in some cases, not necessarily F1's become a bit too soft, but they've seen cars go around in tough conditions like this around a similar circuit before. And I understand that because, Uh, you know, that used to that sort of thing happened in the past, but I remember the 1998 uh, British Grand Prix, uh, not British Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix, um, where you had that massive, I think it was like 16, 17 car crash or something like that. So much damage and debris. And, you know, thankfully it happened at the end of La Source and not on Radion or anything like that. You know, that would have been even worse. But then, of course, as I said before, we've seen round um, Spa at the Best of times, it can be a very dangerous track after what we've seen in recent years, particularly with Antoine Hubert, you know, that it can be dangerous in dry conditions, in perfect conditions. So you don't really want to add any more risk to it by putting cars out on treacherous conditions. I mean, the cars were going out in wet weather in qualifying, but it was nowhere near as bad as what but we saw look in happened, the race. But then look what happened to Lando. He had the lucky yeah, escape. Yeah. Exactly, and they took a risk on that and he managed to walk away from it. But the next guy might not. Um, and I'll always remember what happens to Jules Bianchi all them years ago when they took chances on that. And, and you know, look what happened there. So I understand people's opinions on this and that sometimes, you know, they should just go out there and get on with it. But there are circumstances where it's not right to force drivers and teams to take more risks than they should. Um, we accept Formula One and motorsport in general is very, very dangerous, but why make it even more dangerous than it has to be? Um, you know, it only takes yeah. one person to get it horribly wrong and all of a sudden right. we are, you know, we're cancelling a race because the driver's died or has suffered serious injuries or something like that. And at the end of the day, that's not right. You know, we don't send think, people yeah. out there to die. That's just ridiculous. Well, I think that's that's one of the sort of things, oh, Formula One drivers, the crashes are a big part of it. Yeah, but let's just make sure the drivers are safe. Like, they're, I'm not going to, I don't want to be seeing people die for entertainment purposes. But no. I think the problem with this is that this is a track specific, this was a track specific issue. Like, if I was to see this happen somewhere at Monaco, which is quite a slow speed, I'd be thinking, come on, they're, they're barely going fast enough to lift enough spray for it to be dangerous as it is. But someone literally died there a couple of years ago. Mm. And there have been two or three other occasions, whether it be in Formula 1 and other categories, where there, some people have had some seriously lucky escapes. Yeah. So yeah. putting that, uh, putting together a circuit where they're already thinking of making minor configurations to to make it safer, you can't be putting them out in monsoon conditions because I think we've seen how dangerous that would have been. Mm. 
Yeah, and on the subject, of course, on the points issue, I put a poll out on Twitter, and it was quite surprising. I was expecting it to be a massive majority, but it wasn't. Uh, it was a lot closer. 62% of people that participated in the poll um, believed that they shouldn't have awarded points for the race. They should have just not necessarily voided the result, but just not award points because we basically did um, two laps following the safety car. And even with the red flag on countback, the uh, FIA, they forgot their own rule book. Um, I'm more concerned about the treatment of the fans more than anything else. I mean, it's yes. one thing to have a race like what we saw, and if you can call it a race, it's another thing to do it with the mindset. And again, I'm speculating here. This isn't me accusing F1 of doing something for a specific reason. But it seems that there are a lot of people suggesting that the reason why they did the two-lap run was not necessarily about getting the points, although that was the minimum requirement for half points. But it was also down to the fact that there were contractual obligations that had to be met from a financial perspective, that if they did that, they wouldn't necessarily be liable to have to meet. Now, if that is true, I've got to say that is appalling. Um, You know, from any business in the world and bearing in mind liberty media and f1 in general since they've worked together for for a while now have made a lot of good decisions for the sport and for the fans in mind i think they've been a breath of fresh air for formula one up to a point but if this is their idea of trying and and the promoter's idea of trying to cheap fans out of money um for the sake of doing the bare minimum then quite frankly that's disgusting um you know, the points controversy becomes irrelevant. And I know if Max Verstappen wins this championship now by less than three points, people are going to be in uproar over it, over the impact, or less than five or whatever it is. Um, you know, I saw a few people commenting on that as well. And I, and I was trying to think, okay, but look, um, I, I hope it gets sorted out. Um, F1 put out a statement, um, which I'll read here. They basically said on their Instagram page that, uh, following the impact of the weather on the Belgian Grand Prix on the 29th of August on Sunday, Formula One and the promoter of the Belgian Grand Prix are working through various options for ticket holders to express our recognition and thanks to them for their dedication and commitment. We will provide further details as soon as possible as we want to thank the fans for their continued support and passion for Formula One. Now, that statement on its own sounds like a step in the right direction, but for me, I don't know. I feel like the solution should be cut and dry. As Lewis Hamilton mentioned, you know, give these guys free tickets to the next Belgian Grand Prix or give them their money back. You know, I, I don't think it should be much more complicated yeah, than that. It's, you know? it's, uh, I've, yeah, I've, I think the issue is higher up than the circuit itself because at the end of the day, the people who maintain the circuit and the staff, they all need to be paid. So I understand why they need money for the event that happened. So I feel that I think maybe the people at the very top at F1 should be um, paying back the fans rather than the organisers at the circuit because, again, they, they need to be paid at the end of the day. They did do the, the amount of work needed to run the event. I just think that this needs to be looked into like, when this kind of event occurs. Because at the end of the day, we all know how the weather can be. It's not like it's something that just kind of appeared out of the blue. So that's something that needs to be looked into. I think they should also look at a point system where if this situation was to occur, you just award the drivers a certain amount of points for their performances in qualifying and just leave it there. So let's just say, I don't know, 10 points for pole, and then you just do like eight, six, four, you know, 
I think I think that should be something to be looked into to reward the drivers for their efforts on Saturday at least. Yeah, no, I understand that, and I think my only objection to that, and this is one probably a lot of people have, is the reason why they don't have points for award points for qualifying is simply because it's not a single chassis category. It's not equal mm. performance. So points will be, and, and like I said, you know, you can say in the race, oh, well, they are, you know, the biggest and best teams. Yeah, but they still got to do like an hour and a half of running for a race rather than who can set the fastest time. It's not necessarily about who sets the best time performance wise. It's about who's got the fastest car sometimes. Um, so I'm not a fan of awarding points for qualifying in Formula One, but I see why they do it in other series, even if I'm a bit abstained against that as well. Um, but again, look, that's that's another topic for another day. If we get to a point where F1 becomes a single chassis series, which I very highly doubt we ever will, um, then perhaps we can introduce that. Um, but I'm not a fan of offering points for qualifying. But on the subjects of the money stuff, yeah. Um, if it were me and I was to decide what was to happen, the money has to come from Formula One. Um, they're the ones that have to foot the bill on this because... Um, you know the circuit promoters you mentioned they did the job they needed to they pay money to have the have formula one come to their circuit they're the ones that you know do all the work in terms of making sure it's safe and everything else and you know the everything else for the fans that they do and i'm sure they do a fantastic job and they certainly did um at the weekend you know having to deal with this situation do the best they can to try and get a race going but at the same time when it comes to the money stuff i don't think it'd be fair to ask the circuit promoters or the circuit owners exactly. to pay the bill because they have to keep running i think it has to be on formula one um to do that so i really hope it happens stefano domenicali the new ceo has mentioned that, that that's what they're going to be looking into i just really hope that the fans are giving their money back or giving a free race next season because a lot of people saved up a lot of money like people saving up money for their on their rent and everything else and uh, it's, it's ridiculous you know amount of money that people have to fork out to go to a Formula 1 race is ridiculous anyway, but, you know, to go all that way, stay up for all their months and everything else, be so excited to go to an event like this, and it really is a unique experience uh, that you and I can, mm -hmm. funny enough, yeah. the same circuit, you know, so we know all about that. Um, so, you know, only to turn up and not have a race at all in Formula 1, the main show, it's, it's just disappointing. It's like you said, with your dating analogy, it's probably fairly accurate in a way, except you spend less money for it because they don't turn up. Um Look, that, that, that being said, uh, we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. Um, I did find it humorous, something I saw on the Belgian Grand Prix the other day, Courtney, in that uh, apparently the race itself, if you count all of the official laps, lasted 3 minutes and 27 seconds. Now, that is not only the shortest race in Formula 1 history by a, a, a long way, it is also shorter in time than the actual F1 theme tune. So if you play the F1 theme tune, the one oh, by Brian nice. Tyler, the one that we all love um, before the race, if you play it when oh. lights go out, it actually lasts longer than the actual race. Max Verstappen wins the Belgian Grand Prix before that song finishes. That's how you know this sport is for nerds. That's such a nerdy thing. <laughs> yes, and don't ask me how I know that. I just do. This wonderful thing that Spotify do for you. You can always use for an occasion like that. But yeah, absolutely crazy when I found that out. Um, it's madness. Anyway, look, let's move on to the main talking point, of course, which we eventually got to, the Dutch Grand Prix. Now, we don't have to wait long. It's coming up this weekend, the second part of the triple header, technically speaking. And hopefully this race will allow us to banish the memory of Belgium rather quickly from a sporting perspective. 
what are we expecting this weekend from the Dutch Grand Prix Corny at mm. Zandvoort? Orange smoke bombs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is true. We saw a lot of those at Belgium. Of course, a lot yeah. of the Dutch fans coming over to support Max Verstappen in technically what is his uh, first of two home yeah. Grand Prix, being uh, born in Belgium about... Uh, about 20 minutes from the circuit and of course uh, living in Holland and represents Holland so uh, yeah I'm expecting an interesting atmosphere um, from the Dutch fans I I do hope that majority of them can be a lot more civil and not give Lewis a hard time and I know that we almost talk about this on a regular basis like the F1 community does about how frustrating it is that fans boo drivers and what the connotations of them are. I do feel personally it's more sporting than personal, but it's there's still a, not nice to hear. There's there's a there's a subtlety though, isn't there? There's a subtlety like Jesus Christ, we're not soft. We like we like to see the rivalry. We like to see the passion. Mm. We're not saying don't get behind your guy. We're not we're not saying you no, know, don't tease Lewis a little bit. But there's hatred there, man. You you see it. There's hatred. There is genuine hatred towards Lewis. Look, we love Formula One, but I just think when you see people genuinely hate a driver because they're a rival to their guy, come on, guys, calm down. I, I just think I, I do think some some of the fans are just a bit extra, and we've seen yeah. it. We've seen it in the comments. Calm down, lads and ladies. Let's calm down a bit and let's enjoy some sport. It's big. It's, yeah. It is. I don't like it because it's like so. What we see in football when it's like, oh, look, I'm I'm football crazy. You know, see why I'm with West Ham. It just annoys me that people get so invested in it that they actually feel hatred towards people they don't even know. Just calm down. Calm down. Yeah. No, it, I mean, look, when I hear it, it, it's not a nice thing to hear in general. I'm not really bothered by it as much as a lot of people are on social media. I see a lot of people, like, I see a lot of people that comment on this, and of course they're expressing their frustration that Lewis Hamilton is being treated the way he is by the Dutch fans, if you like. Not to single them out, but... You know, we get this at a lot of places where, and they have such a cult following. Max has a massive fan base, mm-hmm. and it's great to see for a driver. But obviously, when this happens, a lot of Lewis Hamilton's fan base get really angry about it. I can understand why. Um, the only thing I would say, and this isn't me trying to bury my head in the sands or be controversial, quite frankly, but maybe perhaps the best way to deal with this is just to take a page out of Lewis's book and just rise above it. You know, he, I know it might bother him a little bit, but he always comes on the mic and just ignores it. He doesn't address it. He doesn't talk about it too much. He just, if anything, they were booing him, some of them, at the Belgian Grand Prix. And he was just saying at the same time, I hope you guys get your money back. I'm sorry that we didn't give you exactly. guys a race. And it's like, sometimes for our own sanity and peace of mind as a fan base, not necessarily to Lewis or to a particular driver, just an F1 in general, Perhaps we've just got to the point now where it doesn't matter how many times we condemn it or how many times we say this and that. And bear in mind, I'm talking about booing related to Lewis on a competitive note. Any booing that's yeah. affected, that's um, thrown at him as a result of racial prejudices or racial you know, bias or whatever, you know, just being plain racist, that has no place in sport. So that's a separate thing altogether. So I want to make that clear. I'm talking about those that boo Lewis from a sporting perspective owing to be partisan to Max Verstappen or just they don't like Lewis as a driver. That I, I get that. But perhaps we should be getting to a point now where for our own peace of mind as F1 fans, we should just take a page out of Lewis's book and just ignore it and rise above it. Because at the end of the day, there's a reason why this guy has won seven world championships and more so than most drivers that have had similar issues in the past. 
you know, he's able to just block that out and just do what he does on the track. If anything, use it to fuel his desire to win. And how many times has he come out on top by doing that? Almost all the time. So I don't expect anything different this time from Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, you don't want it to be too much about the fans, do you? You want it. You want to be talking about the race itself, and you know that's. What I'm just going to move on to that a little bit. We're still yet to see. Like we're we're talking back from Silverstone. We're still yet to see a proper battle between Mercedes and Red Bull since Mercedes had those upgrades. Mm. We still don't know where they are competitively. If you think about it, Silverstone had the crash. Hungary had another crash. Belgium. Uh, pretty much postponed by rain, so we're still yet to see where these um, where the teams are on the pecking order. I've got a feeling that Max is just going to find that little bit of extra time, start the race on pole. Uh, it, the, the thing I don't like about this circuit, it doesn't look like you can overtake much there. I uh, just get the feeling we could see the result get decided on Saturday. Quite possibly. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. I think that's a really good point that you've made on that one. We haven't really seen them two lock horns since Silverstone. And even then, um, it, it, I think that one lap when them two were going hammer and tongs with each other until, of course, they collided, um, we didn't know who was going to come out on top. Um, the indication in my head at Belgium from what I saw was that perhaps Max had a little bit more than Lewis that weekend but of course we did, we never found out we only saw him qualifying in difficult conditions conditions usually that Lewis thrives in but on this occasion he'd come up just a few temps off of Max Verstappen which you know is not the first time that's happened this season so this will be interesting to see how it goes um Mercedes some figures at Mercedes are quite upbeat um we kind of expected or thought that Red Bull should have the advantage at this circuit owing to the tight and twisty nature of it but apparently Mercedes are quite upbeat. And who am I to question their beliefs on this? If they think their car's going to be faster than the one to beat, then yeah, sure. Why not? If you can hear some noises in the background, that's my neighbor's kids. Uh, for some reason, they like to shout loud, pretty loudly. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll persevere anyway. So I do apologize if you can hear any of that on the mic in the background. There's nothing I can do about that, unfortunately. I haven't really got soundproofing in this uh, yeah. room slash studio, if you like. Um <laughs> You know, small YouTuber problems, I call it. Obviously, if we ever get big enough to have a big enough studio, then those problems will be a thing of the past. But yeah, on the topic of Mercedes, they seem quite confident in their car. So this will be interesting to see how it will go down. I'm still going to go with Max Verstappen to win. At his home circuit, he's mega pumped for this. The atmosphere is going to be incredible. Um hopefully more positive than negative that we'll be able to talk about it and I think we questioned a lot if Red Bull and Max Verstappen were going to be able to come back after the summer break and even though we only got to see it in qualifying it did seem the indication was that they're up for this fight they're not going to be dragged down or bogged down by the misfortune that they've had in the last few races beforehand so it's so close to call but I'm still going to go with Max Verstappen to come out on top this weekend. Yeah, I, I think with all things considered, I think I think the geezer is going to be on a different level. I think I'll be I'll be I'll be shocked if he doesn't win. I would be shocked. Yeah, well, certainly we'll be excited. Of course, um, I'm I'm not really going to focus too much on Bottas and Perez. Obviously, their situations are they haven't really changed much. Nothing that they did in Belgium no. surprised me. Uh, Perez making that mistake before the start of the race and somehow getting back into it, although it didn't really matter because he wasn't able to do anything about it again. 
it's just more drop points. But his future is secured now, so maybe we'll see an improved Sergio Perez um, for the rest of the season. Bottas, it literally depends on how he handles it, really. I don't think there's anything new there. Um, McLaren and Ferrari, interesting battle there. We saw Norris really shine in qualifying until his uh, unfortunate crash. A race, he could have got pole, you know. And he could have won the race as a result. I yeah. mean, I don't think it's how Lando would have wanted to get his first win, but, you know, until it happens, will he be dwelling on that, thinking, ah, oh, you know, if I didn't have that accident, I could technically have my first win in Formula 1? Yeah, oh, it's, it's it's a typical... Uh, Lando's been closer so far on so many occasions, so it's very fitting that the circumstances that occurred over the weekend actually happened. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget, you know, we should also mention Daniel Ricciardo, who I suppose Belgium Grand Prix was his 200th race technically, um, as Lando's 50th, of course, we should mention, because technically it did count. So, you know, congratulations to both of them on those landmarks, respectively. But Daniel, that was by far his best qualifying performance that we've seen from him at McLaren. And whilst... You know, technically speaking, he would have probably liked to have done something in the race because maybe a podium might have been on the cards for him. I mean, to the fact that George Russell was in one of the was one of the cars ahead of him, and you might have fancied him to beat George in the race. Um, it was still a good performance from Daniel Ricciardo. He wasn't too far off for Lando, and he was comfortably uh, in a strong position ahead of the others. So, um, you know, we should give credit where credit's due for Daniel. Are we expecting McLaren to come out on top this weekend against Ferrari, or do you think Ferrari are going to show a more respective performance of their form? Because Belgium was never going to be a strong circuit for them, as we saw in qualifying, but somehow they managed to both score points without doing anything. I think we're going to be seeing the club against Norris. I mean, we haven't really got to see this much, but I think they're both capable of putting in great qualifying laps. And as I said, I think qualifying is going to be important this weekend. And I think we could see a good quality battle between Lando and Leclerc. I think that's where one of the main battles could be. We obviously expect Lewis against Max, but I think the other battle we I expect to see is Leclerc versus Norris. Yeah, I, I'm certainly hoping Ferrari are going to be more competitive this weekend. And this circuit does have characteristics where Ferrari could be strong, but I'm expecting McLaren to be mighty as well on a high-speed circuit like this one. Um, this could be right up their street, and Lando will certainly be a factor again for the top honours. Um, the battle between Alpine, Aston Martin, and Alpha Tauri. Who do you think is going to come out on top? Because as we saw in Belgium, um, Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly, very much the stars for their teams once again. And it seems like they're both just in that groove now where they have mm -hmm. taken the mantle for their teams respectively as their teams would have wanted and very much forefront in this battle, at least as far as Aston Martin and uh, Alpha Tauri are concerned. Yeah, I'm not surprised again. Um, Sebastian Vettel's definitely found his place to Aston Martin. Um, Gasly, I, I think he's, generally speaking, always getting the best out of the car. So you just expect these guys to be there or thereabouts. And I think Fernando Alonso, got to give Fernando Alonso a mention, despite Ocon winning in Hungary, you look at those teams and the guys you know that could pick a performance out of nowhere are Vettel, Gasly and Alonso. They're the three guys to watch, I feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, we should mention Alpine in this as well, of course. Still reeling after their success in Hungary with Ocon and Alonso. And of course, uh, Ocon getting in the points once again at the uh, Belgian Grand Prix, um, technically speaking. So it does seem that Alpine are on the move up, but of course they will need to keep scoring those points in order to consolidate that fifth place 
in the Constructors' Championship at the moment. Do you think they can do that? Or do you feel that we're going to see a resurgence from Aston Martin and Alfa Tauri in particular? Because right now, it seems that Alpine have both their drivers on it and the other two, they need to find a way to get their second drivers in gear. A lot of it comes down to Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel can keep that momentum and confidence that he has. I think think Aston Martin do edge it performance-wise. But speaking of momentum... Alpine have a lot of momentum. I think there's a real, there's a real feel good factor about the place at the moment, and I think, I think the main battle will be between Sebastian Vettel and the two Alpine guys. To be honest, mm, very much so. Could be. I'm, I'm hoping Gasly finds himself in that battle because that's a driver I think has been overlooked a lot this season, and I think it's important to keep an eye on what he's doing because I think a lot of the big teams are still watching Gasly, and I just hope something happens for him for his career. I think he's too good to not be in a position where he can try and make a real impact in this sport hopefully it happens we'll have to wait and see um well I mean it's it's probably look at the other three teams I mean let's look at Williams separately in this one because they've kind of earned uh their own little spot segment if you like um the only team in the last two races to score points with both their drivers never thought I'd be saying that about Williams um this season but uh yes a remarkable achievement and whether you feel that there's a massive asterisk over the Belgium Grand Prix owing to, you know, what had happened. As I said, I don't think they should have scored points. But look, it's in the F1 record books. George Russell, podium finisher, P2 for the Williams team. Also, the first British Williams driver to start on the front row of a Grand Prix since Damon Hill back in 1996 in Japan when he won the World Championships. Incredible for a team of such history and heritage that it's been so long since their first British driver starting the front row. And of course, their first front row start since the 2001 Grand Prix, famously where Ralph Schumacher and Juan Pablo Montoya, I think they were both on the front row and both of them separately on two starts of the race ended up at the back of the field. Um, because I think Montoya stalled at the start and then ended up at the back and then Ralph Schumacher's car got left on jacks on the restart. So, it sounds um, right, yeah. considering that was a very chaotic time for Formula 1. So uh, that story does sound like it has a lot of truth to it. Yeah, it's a bit mad. I mean, I remember it very well because I was that was the Grand Prix I actually went to, the first race I ever went to. And all I remember seeing in that race was you expecting the Williamses on the front row and then out of last source, Michael Schumacher just whizzes off ahead of everyone else. And it's like, where are the two Williamses? And they're at the back and... Um, yeah, it's absolute crazy, that race. But it was a great day for me, of course, at, my t- at that time. But uh, uh, yeah, let's move on, of course. Um, Williams, of course, podium finishes. Um, you know, it's, it's a huge achievement for them. I think whilst there's an asterisk over it, I mean, what does it mean to a team like Williams? As I said, that's had such rich heritage and history in the sport. They've been struggling for years, trying to find a way back into the upper echelons. And of course, this one was completely out of the uh, outside the form book. But it's still a huge moment and something that the team and, you know, the uh, owners and everyone involved at the Williams team have probably deserved a moment like this. How much does it mean to them, do you reckon? I think it means a lot to them, not only emotionally, but financially. I think that there's pretty much zero chance that Alfa Romeo has to going to catch them now. So it's going to it's going to give them a, a, you know, a good sum of money when they're going to need it, you know, with all the changes that are coming. So it could be uh, these results could be really important for Williams' long term future. You know, I think there's a lot more significance to this. And and that's why the other side of the argument comes in about the points awarded the other day, because, you know, the results have 
far bigger implications than just whose favourite driver got the points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose all, the less, all that's left to say, Courtney, on Williams is, do you think they're going to score points in this race yeah. and, and go George, three in George a row? Russell, yeah, George Russell is going to score podium on roll pace. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we've seen stranger <laughs> things in Formula One already. I can't believe that, you know, considering how we so often said this season, we were hoping Williams would get points and George Russell in particular. And then he goes one race and actually does get those points. And then the next race, he almost wins it. He literally was three tenths of a second away from winning a Grand Prix um, through qualifying. But uh, yeah, stranger things have happened. Um, Alfa Romeo and Haas will end with these two teams. Are you expecting anything from these two teams in particular now? Because... House's focus has always been on next season. I don't expect that yeah. to be an issue for them. They're on the beach. But um, Alfa Romeo, how do they come back from this? Because they probably felt they had Williams beat mm. uh, after Imola. And out of nowhere, Williams have just capitalised on two crazy races for different reasons. And Alfa Romeo have always been left with their tails between their legs. I mean, could this potentially be the reason why Alfa Romeo are so hell-bent in making changes, not necessarily to their driver lineup, but also potentially to their engine supplies as well? Yeah, I think uh, Alfa Romeo, in a greatest respect, they're a stagnated team. You know, you look at Alfa Romeo and you think, what they left to offer? Absolutely nothing at this stage. You know, you look at the drivers, Kimi, Kimi knows, Kimi knows that's why he's leaving. He, you know, performance-wise, he just does what he can, but he's not going to... I always bring up the, the, the time with Charles Leclerc. When I had Charles Leclerc, they could get these points results to propel him up the constructors. They don't have that right now. So, in my mind, Alfa Romeo and Haas, they'll, be, they'll both be going through, they'll just be going through the motions for the rest of this season. Their mind is fully on next season, particularly Alfa Romeo. They've got so many changes that possibly could be coming their way. They'll just be turning up at the races for the sake of it and hoping for the best. Their main priority will be matters off the track, not on the track. No, that's fair enough. I, I can't really add much to that. I think I'd agree with that one. Um to round this all off, as we often do, Courtney, let's talk about our predictions for this race. Um, I mean, we mentioned Max Verstappen is the favourite to win the race. Do you think that's going to be the case on Sunday? Do you think it's going to be, yep, do you think Max Verstappen's going to win? I'm assuming you're expecting Lewis to come second. Yeah, I'm going to go with Valtteri third. I think I think Valtteri, I think, I think if the decision has been made and he's sort of at peace with what is happening, I think he'll put in a solid performance this weekend. Maybe. I'm going to go Norris P3. I think McLaren yeah. are going to be very strong. And I think Lando's just going from strength to strength every time he gets in that car this season. He's been phenomenal uh, without, you know, the lack of a better way of putting it. He's been phenomenal. Um, do we have any bold predictions for this weekend? And I stress the bold part is probably uh, a little bit looser than we could imagine, given what we've seen the last couple of weeks. I mean, this season has been crazy for so many different reasons. But do we have any bold predictions this weekend? Hmm. I think Fernando Alonso could have a strong weekend. I'm not saying podium, but I think if we have, I think if we have a race, well, Jesus, some of the races that we had, that's not all that. We have an unusual situation. I think Fernando could be the guy to uh, take advantage because he's becoming, he's, he's really, really getting himself back into the groove in recent times. Hmm. That's a good shout. Um, I think. I'm not going to say bold. I think the driver I think to watch out for this weekend, I would say, I'd say Charles Leclerc. And while Charles Leclerc, it wasn't long ago that he was very unlucky not to win the British Grand Prix, an incredible story that would have been. The last couple of races, for different reasons, have 
been very unfortunate for him and haven't really gone the way he would have wanted. And it's at times like this where Charles usually puts himself together, puts in a stellar performance out of nowhere and reminds everybody of how good he really, really is. And I'm hoping for his sake and also for Ferrari, of course, uh, a little bit of bias there that this could be another one of those weekends. So hopefully I'm I'm hoping for a strong weekend for Charles Leclerc. I think he's going to be one to watch out for. But um, of course, guys, let us know what you think about the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend. There's so many uh, things that could go on. So many stories in the F1 season still to be decided and still to be told their final chapters. But of course, let us know your predictions below. Who do you think is going to win the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend? Do you think we're going to get any more driver announcements following Kimi Raikkonen's announcement of his retirement? And of course, let us know your favourite Kimi Raikkonen moments in his career. Not necessarily have to be racing moments, could be anything he's done in his career. Let us know in the comments below. Of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, please do consider giving it a like and subscribing to the channel. We're really pushing to get to 500 subscribers soon. We really need your help to help us get there. So if you can spare us one, please, please do consider subscribing to the channel. And of course, if you are following us on your major favorite podcasting platforms, please consider following us and giving us a like and a five-star review if you can do so as well. We'd really, really appreciate that. And of course, our social media handles are below if you're watching on YouTube. If not, it's dnf1.official on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook at dnf1 as well. And uh, until next time, guys, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.